4: is the Tom Hartman program.
3: And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. bunch going on that, you know, you all need to know about. What does conservative mean? What does that word mean anymore? Back in my dad's day, you know, he thought he was a conservative and Eisenhower represented himself as a conservative. And what they meant, in fact, what they said was that i mean william f buckley famously said a conservative is a man who stands astride the arc of history with his hand out shouting stop and that was you know my dad's definition was he'd say you know i share all your goals for social progress in this country it's just that we need to do them slowly carefully thoughtfully so we don't disrupt our society Now, that was used as an excuse by many conservatives to fight integration or desegregation, to fight women's rights, to fight all kinds of things. You know, my dad never made those specific arguments, but that's how it was used. But I think that since 1978, really, in a big way, 1979, I guess, would be the magic turning year. The definition of the word conservative has changed, but at its core, what we're seeing right now is that Donald Trump has corrupted pretty much every federal agency, from the EPA to the IRS to the Department of Justice. And that's the one that, frankly, I think should concern us the most, is the DOJ. Bill Barr ran the cover-up for Iran-Contra for George Herbert Walker Bush back in 1992, producing screaming headlines in The New York Times. I mean, this was uh, Christmas Eve, 1992, The headline across the New York Times, all caps, six columns all the way across the front page, Bush pardons six in Iran affair, aborting a Weinberger trial, prosecutor assails cover up. The day before Christmas, 1992, Bush had already lost the election to Bill Clinton. Clinton had not yet been sworn in as president. And with those pardons, George Bush shut down the Iran-Contra investigation, which would have revealed that both he and Ronald Reagan committed treason from the White House. Bill Barr covered that up. Proudly, apparently. And he's doing it again. And, you know, now we see that, according to Lev Parnas, Bill Barr was in on this thing. Lev Parnas is saying, oh, he knew what was going on. Now, consider this for a moment. Lev Parnas, this guy, on Rachel Maddow's show, and I guess also on Anderson Cooper's show, this guy called out Dmitry Furtash. This is a uh, Russian or Ukrainian billionaire oligarch who is hiding in Vienna from a U.S. extradition order. Now, billionaires from that part of the world are, I don't know, Firtash falls into this category, but broadly speaking, oligarchs in that part of the world have somewhat of a history of harming the people who speak out against them, number one. Number two, he's calling out Donald Trump. Donald Trump has famously said he could kill somebody and people would still vote for him. And indeed, there's been this long line of weird people who were involved with Trump's finances who have committed suicide in the last couple of years, including the guy who signed off on his loans at Deutsche Bank just a few months ago. So when you think about what Lev Parnas did, I mean, he took on the president of the United States, a billionaire oligarch who's been involved up to his eyeballs with organized crime, all the way back to when his lawyer was also the lawyer for the Gambino family, for the number one crime family in New York City. So he's revealing things. I mean, this was the most bizarre moment, in my mind, in Rachel's interview. the very end, She said, why are you saying all this stuff now publicly? Why are you doing it here instead of in a courtroom or someplace else? And he basically said, for my safety, I want this information to get out. He's basically, I mean, he didn't say it in these words, but, you know, he said for my safety. He wants this information to get out before somebody can kill him. I mean, it would just all go poof if they assassinated him. And it could look like a suicide, like happened with Jeffrey Epstein and apparently, you know, some of these bankers that are around Donald Trump. Epstein had the dirt on Trump, too. Or it could just be, hey, you know, there's some nerve gas poison on the doorknob when you walk into your apartment. I mean, this is, you know, what has happened in Europe in a couple of occasions. Consider that. I mean, this is pretty shocking. And at the head of our police is Bill Barr, who is apparently part of this criminal conspiracy. And literally every federal agency, every member of the House, the vice president, Donald Trump, he's corrupted them all. But I would argue that he was only able to do that because the definition of conservative changed in the 1970s, in the late 1970s. Follow me on this. In 1976, in a case called Buckley versus Vallejo, the United States Supreme Court said, if a billionaire wants to run for political office, they can use their own money and there are no rules. That decision in 76, that Buckley decision, is what gave us the Bloomberg candidacy, the Steyer candidacy, and the modern-day Republican Party. They also said in 76, if a very, very wealthy person wants to basically own a politician, give them so much money and, and so much support that they're largely responsible for that person being in office. That's not considered bribery, that's not considered setting up a corrupt deal, that's free speech, which is protected by the US Constitution's First Amendment. Two years later, in 1978, in a decision called First National Bank versus Bellotti, the Supreme Court said, oh, and by the way, we're extending this to corporations as well as to individuals, as well as to human beings. So that opened the door for just tons of money to flow into politics in 79. Now, in 1979, the Democratic Party, you know, a third of America was unionized and the Democratic Party was getting most of their money from unions. So they were like, okay, so rich people and corporations are in the game now, along with us. You know, big whoop. But the Republicans, they were just I mean, they were still shell shocked from the Nixon scandals, which had happened just, you know, a few years earlier. And they had no idea what to do or where to go. They had no definition anymore of what Republican meant or what conservative meant for that matter. So they did two things. Number one, they said, you know, okay, you know, we're for rent. You want a political party? Just throw the money at us. And just god-awful amounts of money just poured down into the Reagan campaign and into the Republican Party in 1979, 1980, and put Reagan in office and started the Reagan Revolution which continues to this day. Because those laws are still where those Supreme Court decisions are still to this day. In fact, they doubled down in 2020 with Citizens United. They tripled down in 2013 with McCutcheon and said an individual billionaire can own an unlimited number of politicians. There was a limit to the number that you could own. And then with the McDonald case, you know, Bob McDonald, the former governor of Virginia, he took over $100,000 in bribes. And they said, oh no, those weren't bribes. Those were just gifts from a friend and so you know here we are with the republican party so number one they said okay we're for rent and number two they redefined conservative and they said conservative doesn't mean what bill buckley said or what dwight eisenhower or tom's dad said you know we share these goals these broad wonderful egalitarian goals we just think that we should take a little more time and go a little more slowly to get there to make sure we don't get anything wrong and we don't cause social disruption they rejected that and they said what conservative means now is small government. Now, why would that be consequential? Because the only power on earth that can hold back a billionaire or a multi-billion dollar or trillion dollar corporation, literally the only power that can hold them back, it's not you, it's not me, it's not the marketplace, it's not competition. The only power that can restrain them if they are engaging in behavior that is ripping us off and poisoning our planet, the only thing that can restrain them is government. So the Republicans and the conservatives redefine conservative to mean small government. And then they came up with another phrase, you know, fiscal conservatism, financial responsibility. You know, what does that mean? Balanced budgets and stuff like that. Well, what does that mean? What that means is We can't afford to pay for social programs anymore. We're going to end Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and we're going to turn those things over to the people who own us. We're going to give Social Security to five big banks in New York City. George W. Bush campaigned on this in 2005. And we're going to give Medicare and Medicaid to Citizens United. And George W. Bush did that in 2005 by signing into law legislation that created Medicare Part C, which is Medicare Advantage, Privatizing Medicare. And now a third of all the people on Medicare are using this privatized. So what conservative means now is we are bought off and we are sellouts. Pure and simple. Do you think I'm crazy or does this make sense? And if this makes sense, then it gives us a whole brand new understanding of why these guys, why these Republicans are doing what they're doing, why they're supporting Donald Trump, why all this stuff is happening. So Susan Collins now, (laughs) This this is nuts. Susan Collins is saying. Well, uh, you know, this is in response to Lev Parnas's revelations. Well, you know, it's uh, I don't know why, you know we didn't get this stuff um you know, for the House. I mean, why didn't the House Representatives do this? It's kind of a little late, isn't it now here in the Senate? Blah, blah. Here's actually what she said. I wonder why the House did not put that into the record, and it's only now being revealed. Doesn't that suggest the House did an incomplete job? No, what happened was the Department of Justice, that's Bill Barr, took possession of Parnas's phones and other materials way back in October when he got arrested and didn't open an investigation, didn't convene a grand jury, didn't turn it over to anybody. And finally, it was Parnas who said, screw that. I'm going to give this information to the House of Representatives and then to MSNBC and CNN. Meanwhile, uh, Dan Bongino, who used to be a guest on my old TV show in D.C., he says, why was Marie Ivanovich monitoring me and others? He's on Fox News a lot now. Uh, When we began exposing her role in the Ukrainian collusion scandal with the Obama administration and the Democrats. It's just complete BS. Uh, Ivanovich was not monitoring anybody. So then in response to this tweet, Donald Trump Jr. tweets, She was doing the same to me, apparently, and other private citizens. Media won't cover a rogue ambassador monitoring American citizens. I wonder why. Right. But, you know, they're falling apart. I mean, I told you about Susan Collins. Now, Martha McSally, Manu Raju, the reporter for CNN, he's just following her down the hall. And he says, what do you think about this information from Lev Parnas? And she says, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're a liberal hack. But there's some folks who are like seriously concerned about what all this means. I don't know if you caught this, but Nancy Pelosi, I saw it on TV and I, I didn't even catch it and I watched it live. It was during one of our breaks and Nancy Pelosi was talking to the House of Representatives and I think probably like everybody else, she's seen the movie, The Irishman. This is just an extraordinary movie and it's based on a book called Do You Paint Houses? or the house painter or something like that. And a house painter is a reference to a hitman because, you know, when they shoot at close range, your blood sprays all over the wall. So listen to what Nancy Pelosi had to say on the floor of the House.
0: The president of the United States using appropriated funds enacted in a bipartisan way by this Congress, funds that were meant to help the Ukraine fight the Russians' The president considered that his private ATM machine, I guess, and said he could say to the president, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Do you paint
3: houses, too? What is this? Do me a favor. Do you paint houses, too? What is this? Do me a favor. I mean, she's nailed it. Right. Is that what conservative means now? Mobbed up? It's starting to look that way. So anyhow, just real quickly, uh, some of the things that we learned that we sort of knew but didn't really know. Lev Parnas. Well, actually, first, here's what President Trump said to the president of Ukraine. He said, whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. I'll have Mr. Giuliani give you a call. And I'm also going to have Attorney General Barr call. And then at the end of the meeting, he says, I'll tell Rudy and Attorney General Barr to call you. Parnas says Barr had to have known everything. I mean, it's impossible that he didn't. Attorney General Barr was basically on the team. The team, of course, means Victoria Tenzing and Joe DiGenova and Sondland and all these other guys. Parnas said that Devin Nunes was in the middle of this. He, he said, he, Parnas said he met several times with Devin Nunes. He said, I was in shock when I was watching the hearings and when I saw Devin Nunes sitting up there, I texted my attorney. I said, I can't believe this is happening and rachel says why were you so surprised he says because they were involved in getting all this stuff on biden it's hard to see them lie like that it's scary because you know you're sitting there and making all these statements and all that when he knows very well that he knew what was going on he knew what's happening he knows who i am and then mike pence his trip to Zelensky's inauguration it was canceled because Zelensky refused to mention the bidens in the in a press release and Lev Parnas says, "Oh, it was 100 percent. 100 percent. Pence's trip was canceled because Zelensky wouldn't play along." He says Pence was aware of a quid pro quo. Everybody was in the loop, and that's a phrase, by the way, that was used by Gordon Sondland as well. And then you know, Trump, Trump says, "Well, I don't know who this guy is." He told him, "He told reporters, I, I, I don't recognize these guys." And Parnas says, "He was aware of all my movements. He lied." President Trump knew exactly what was going on. I wouldn't do anything without the consent of Rudy Giuliani or the president. I have no intent. I have no reason to speak to any of these officials. And he's saying, you know, basically, why would the president of Ukraine have his people meet with me? Unless it was because the president of the United States authorized it or asked for it. He also said that it wasn't just the military aid that was on the line. It was all aid to Ukraine. They were squeezing the president of Ukraine really, really hard. Parnas goes on to say he lied, Trump. He he knew exactly who we were. He knew exactly who I was, especially. I had a lot of one-on-one conversations with him at gatherings. He says, whenever Trump talks about corruption, he says, what it's really all about is the Bidens. It was never about corruption. So it was never about corruption. Interesting. If you dig into Mike Pence's visit, where he went over on September 1st to meet with Zelensky, in Warsaw, Poland, on the commemoration of the 80th anniversary of World War II. He was asked a question by a reporter, an explicit, specific question. This reporter says to him, can you assure Ukraine that the holdup of that money has absolutely nothing to do with the efforts, including by Rudy Giuliani, to try to dig up dirt on the Biden family? That was the question the reporter asked him in public in Poland. And this is what Mike Pence said in part there's some prefatory stuff he said as president trump had me make clear now keep in mind parnas just said whenever you use the word corruption what you're talking about is the biden's and pence knows this as president trump had me make clear we have great concerns about issues of corruption and fortunately president Zelensky was elected decisively this is mike pence speaking vice president. Fortunately, President Zelensky was elected decisively on an anti-corruption message and he and I discussed yesterday that he's assembled his cabinet and as his parliament has convened that even in the early days he informed me there have been more than 250 bills that address the issue of public corruption and really restoring integrity to the public process. I mean to invest additional taxpayer presumably money, he dropped a word there, in Ukraine, the president wants to be assured that those resources are truly making their way to the kind of investments that will contribute to security and stability in Ukraine. And that's an expectation the American people have, and the president has expressed very clearly. Now keep in mind, once again, the question was, can you assure Ukraine that the holdup of that money had absolutely nothing to do with the efforts by Rudy Giuliani to dig up dirt on the Biden family. He has never said anything about that. And then at the very end of Pence's comments, he says, and I told him, that's Zelensky, that I would carry back to President Trump the progress that his administration in Ukraine are making on dealing with corruption in their country. And of course, you know, again, corruption means Biden. So are we seeing a brand new redefinition of the word conservative? Does it mean now not just racist and misogynist and fundamentalist, you know, anti-abortion and of course the corporatist and the billionaires, but does it also mean mobbed up in bed with the mob, willing to kill people? I mean, is that what it means now? I've been talking about this for years. I mean, you know, for 15 years, we've had a contest on this show. Name one piece of legislation passed by Republicans that principally benefits average people. It doesn't exist. So when you ask your conservative friends what conservative means to them, what do they say? And how do you respond to it? I mean, obviously, what's happened is that when the Republicans sold out to the billionaires and the big corporations, they knew that there were not enough voters among even the employees of big corporations and among the billionaires, certainly, to get them elected. So they had to bring along a whole bunch of folks. So they reached out to the white racists. You know, Nixon started this with his silent majority, and, and then Reagan with his speech at the Nebosha or whatever it is, uh, county fair in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Reagan, you know, started the modern day use of race shall we say by the republican party so they reached out to the racists. then they reached out to the white evangelical christians particularly the ones who are upset about women acquiring power in the workplace and political power and said okay you know we don't want women to have the ability to really be autonomous beings anymore so they have to be you know locked down with barefoot and pregnant you know end the right for abortion I mean, this is pretty straightforward stuff. Jeff Tiedrick tweeted a couple days ago. He said, right now, some deplorable with a persistent cough is driving a crappy car on crumbling roads past abandoned storefronts to a low-paying job and pumping his fist and going, hell yeah, as he hears on wingnut radio about how Trump wants the Supreme Court to gut Obamacare. Think about that for a minute. I mean, that's what's going on. And these people think that they're conservatives what does that mean so i'll get back to that conversation in just a minute there's a bunch of news here i want to be sure and get in the trump administration broke the law this is the government accounting office our government accountability office the gao They said, faithful execution of the law does not permit the president to substitute his own policy priorities for those that Congress has enacted into law. OMB withheld funds for a policy reason which is not permitted under the Impalmment Control Act. In other words, the OMB, Mick Mulvaney, at the direction of Donald Trump, broke the friggin' law.
4: You're listening to Tom Hartman. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
3: Welcome back. Tom Irvin here with you. Uh, Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Tom, I think
1: the gist of conservatism in the United States is that whichever locus of power or control best suits them, and their ideology is the one they prefer, whether that be at the state and local levels when they are in control there and not in, at the federal level, or at the federal level when they are not so in, controlled in the state, whichever one suits their ideology. And at points when they are not controlled at either level, then they become libertarian and say that no government entity should be able to tell me what to do or how to do anything that's their libertarian point of view. And I mean the word should. Now let me just highlight this because Kevin McCarthy just said the president should be able to determine how tax dollars are spent. He did not say the president has the constitutional power to determine how tax dollars are spent. He said he should have.
3: That's not what the Constitution says.
1: Exactly. I was going to call his office and say, okay, maybe he should, but you better write a constitutional amendment, because that's not what the Constitution says. But you see, in terms of the Trump supporters, their mentality now is how it should be in terms of our opinion. And when Donald Trump said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, what he meant was, I should be able to shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue without any consequences whatsoever, because I'm Donald Trump and I'm the greatest. And that's what his cult mentality has become, what it should be, not what it
3: really is. Right. So I guess the larger question ultimately that we're all going to face, Paul, is is this mentality shared by enough Americans that Donald Trump can get himself reelected and that all these Republicans who have jumped in the bag with him, are they going to end up disgraced and out of office or are they going to end up continuing to hold on to power?
1: Well, you know that the way it is, it has to do with not having the number of votes. It's it's the right proportions, right? It's, It's where are your votes? And so, yeah, I think it's possible. It happened before and no one thought it could, but it's possible that in some of these states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, I don't know how those will shake out, but there are enough people with that mentality in those states about how it should be, not how it is. And you can look at the way they look at it. Let's take the guns. What they prefer is that the federal government, via the Supreme Court, should be able to take away the power of the states to regulate guns. So, what the second amendment really says is the federal government has no power to regulate guns in the states. The states have the power to regulate as much or as little as they choose, whether that means no regulations on guns like kind of like Nevada or if they a lot of regulations. But you know the conspiracy that Scalia and Alito had was first the Heller decision, which says essentially that the individual ownership of a gun is a right that you have as a citizen of the United States. And then Alito comes along with the 14th Amendment and says equal protection under the law and that basically takes away the states rights to regulate firearms and even though the right to individual ownership is these gun people think that what that means is I should be able to have any kind of gun I want and if the state says no then they're infringing on my second amendment rights.
3: right. Right. And there's the Second Amendment and the Tenth Amendment, too, in these places. Well said, Paul. Thanks a lot for the call. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom.
5: There was an article in the New York Times recently that one of the Russian advanced persistent threat groups, I think Fancy Bear, they've been caught collecting and amassing emails from Burisma in the right. Ukraine. right. The intel services, they're playing games with these advanced persistent threat groups anyway. And what I mean by games is is I can tell they're using the. this whole thing is a stock exchange. It's a market of information. OK, all these intelligence groups from the United Arab Emirates to Japan to I mean, everyone, all of them. for lack Right. Of so better Dave, words. Dave we'll can you boil this down,
3: down right. to a point that you're trying to make?
5: If Donald Trump is emulating Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin just consolidated power, and his intelligence services are amassing information on Burisma, yeah, <laughs> they could certainly create some sort of image. They being the Russian FSB could certainly create some sort oh, of... Oh, so the
3: bottom line of what you're saying is that just like, you know, when the Russians hacked the DNC server and got all those embarrassing emails, just like when they did that, they released them via WikiLeaks at strategic moments in order to influence the campaign, that if they just successfully hacked Burisma, they probably found enough documents that, not necessarily smoking guns, things that could be taken out of context or could be misunderstood. Somebody complaining about Hunter Biden, you know, not leaving enough donuts on the table or something, whatever it might be. And they can be feeding that stuff out as we go into the election, assuming Joe Biden is the nominee. Is that your point?
5: Yeah, sure. All these Republicans are unwitting agents of Moscow, the yeah. Kremlin. Yeah. yeah. They're pushing for Hunter Biden to testify at. Trump's impeachment. Wouldn't it be nice to have some emails suddenly pop up that show Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's guilt? (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Yeah,
3: I'm I'm guessing that's going to happen, Dave. The question will be whether they're authentic or not, whether they're taken out of context or not, or whether they're just complete fabrications. But I fully expect, if Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, that it's going to be Hillary's emails all over again. I fully expect it. Rick in Denver. Hey Rick, thanks for listening to Sirius XM. What's on your mind today?
6: Hi Tom. Hey, we all know about the famous Fifth Avenue I Can Shoot Somebody mm-hmm. quote. What I think that is missing that people don't really notice enough is that not only could he shoot somebody, but he makes everybody else around him shoot the body so mm-hmm. that they're culpable in the murder. So that's why Pence
7: is involved.
3: Yeah, I'm with you the thing that I'm wondering is when Trump said I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and people would still vote for me. Did he mean, and this is the popular understanding of what he said, that he meant, I could commit a crime in plain daylight and people would forgive me the crime because they like me in so many other ways. I mean, that's how everybody's been interpreting it. My question is, did he mean actually that he had the ability to kill people or have people killed. Which takes us back to Nancy Pelosi asking him if he paints houses. Brent in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Brent, what's up?
7: What is a Republican? You asked that question. The answer to that in modern society is a person who dislikes Democrats, that's about all it takes to be a Republican anymore. They don't have any real philosophy. They don't stand for anything. They stand in opposition of someone. And that's really their problem. But 1978, and you mentioned a couple of Supreme Court cases, I think that's really close to the year, but I attribute a lot of this, air quotes, conservatism, that move that seemed to occur right around that time to the economist Milton Friedman. Oh, yeah. um, Who was not, yeah, he was not a, a person who, as a former local union president, I think very fondly of, but I guess he did win a Nobel Prize. I
3: Well, no. Actually, what happened was Alfred Nobel and his foundation never provided for a prize for economics. So when these right-wingers in the 60s or 70s wanted to give a prestigious prize to Milton Friedman, they invented this thing. It's a bank out of Sweden, as I recall, the, the Serges Bank prize in the memory of Nobel for economics. And I know ah. I'm mangling the exact title. So yeah, I'm with
7: it. Yeah, 74 was entirely too influential to their party and it stands on very weak economic foundation and I think right. was proven in the 80s and early 90s to be a failed system. But, yes. Uh, yeah, it was a I theory. When, I don't know when they're going to figure it out. Yeah, it was a theory. It was a, I think it's a failed theory and I think the evidence bears that out. Yep. I just don't know how we're gonna get it back quickly, but yeah. we'll get it back. I got faith in that.
3: I do too, Brett. Thank you very much for the call. Spot on. Scott in Orford, Michigan. Hey Scott, what's up? Some of my observations about conservatives that I know and
6: interact with on social media are is they have a disdain for government programs because it's coming out of my pocket, but then they have this until it happens to me condition that, oh, now I need this. And and the story about Ayn Rand being a libertarian and, you know, objectivism and all that, she certainly took advantage of the U.S. health care system and programs that helped her out in
5: her, in her old
3: age. When she, she had smoked for half her life or most of her life, and she got lung cancer. And in her old age, right. she went on both Social Security and Medicare, and Medicare paid for her lung cancer treatments.
4: Yes, yeah. and there, there was a story a while ago about
6: a, a senator or a congressman in Texas. That voted against Texas having some type of it might have been around the time the ACA was passed mm-hmm. but he
4: ended up having to go into uh, the hospital for surgery and he was no longer covered <laughs> Oh jeez. I, I can't yeah. remember I can't remember the, the exact story about that, but I remember
6: reading
3: about it and I just thought now there's some irony and there's more than enough irony to go around and it's, it's really sad Scott, thank you. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. So what does it mean to be a Republican and a conservative today in America? How do we define that? What do these people believe? Allen in DeKalb, Illinois. Hey, Alan or DeKalb. Hey, Alan. what's up? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to give
6: you another definition of conservative.
0: Okay, go for it.
6: Through a lifetime of observation, I think that the definition of conservative means conserving all the wealth and power into the hands of a very few elites. Yes, And you can do this by institutions such as theocracy, dictatorship, monarchy, oligarchy, or even slavery. Right? One thing they all have in common is they all
3: conserve wealth and power into the hands of a very few. And there were people at the time of the American Revolution, Sir Edmund Burke is probably the most famous, who called themselves, and in fact, you know, Russell Kirk, his book, The Conservative Mind, published in 1953, opens with an entire chapter about Burke. He had called himself a conservative. I mean, these Tories and high Federalists and whatnot, that was the definition conservative back then, although it wrapped into it was a belief in royalty, or theocracy, one or the other, that, you know, as Hobbes famously said in Leviathan, you know, without the constraining power of church or state, society will basically disintegrate. So it was authoritarianism combined with seizing basically all the assets. Everything is not nailed down. Yeah, well done, Alan. I like that. That's a a good, solid definition. Thanks a lot for the call. Ivan in Bartlett, Illinois. Ivan, what's on your mind today?
8: My definition of modern-day conservatives, now... I'm going to include conservative Democrats and libertarians here. My definition is they are corporate fooled, fooled fools, fooled into voting against their own self interest.
3: Mm. You certainly see that. You can go
8: right down the line. You vote for climate deniers, you're voting against your own self interest. You vote for War you're voting against your own self-interest. You vote against $15 minimum wage, you're voting against your own self-interest. You're voting for anti-union representatives, you're voting against your own self-interest. And Medicare for all, free college, tax cuts for the rich, voting against regulations, all of those are voting against your own self-interest.
3: Yeah. I think that that's a, a, a very reasonable definition. Ivan, thank you. Good one. Mike in Hope Sound, Florida. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom, great show.
0: Modern-day conservative. It's very simple. The modern-day conservative is anybody who spends their political career and all their free time trying to beat down American Democrats and liberals. And that means owning the libs is their goal. Anything that comes with it, meaning treason, breaking laws, voter suppression, all that is excused, and along with it, your oath of office if you're a congressman. As long as you're beating Democrats or bashing the libs, you have carte blanche to break all these laws and to trample on our Constitution. And of course, that's a broad statement, but to ask
3: you. I think you've nailed it, Mike, and in fact, probably official declaration of that is Donald Trump Jr.'s new book, which is, you know, just basically an entire book full of snark against libs. But, you know, let's keep in mind, America is a liberal country. It's like, Mike, thanks for the call. They're really trashing America. Tom Harman here with you. Zach in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Zach, what's up? The meaning of
0: the word conservative, I think the modern meaning is has to be compared to the word freedom in the two different ways it's understood. They think freedom means the freedom to do anything you want, no matter who it harms or what condition it leaves the environment in. Particularly if you're as making you money. make a
3: healthy profit. Yeah,
0: particularly if you're
3: making money. Oh, you were going to say, as long as you make a healthy profit. Zach, we're thinking Now, now
0: the original word, the original meaning of the word freedom, to me, meant freedom from kings. Freedom from the kingdom. Yep. And here we are. Here we are, but very tricky, because don't forget, this freedom that the Constitution gives us also gives us the freedom to harm ourselves. So be careful of the document that gives you that freedom from kings, and honor and protect what it really stands for. And there has to be
3: a large measure of unity, not division. I am completely with you. Franklin Roosevelt talked about this, and, you know, he laid this out. He said that very word freedom. I'm looking at my book, Screwed, which has uh, pretty much his entire speech here. He says that very word freedom in itself and of necessity suggests freedom from some restraining power. In 1776, we saw freedom from the tyranny of political autocracy from the 18th yes. century royalists who held special privileges from the crown. And then he goes on through that. And then he says it was to win freedom from the tyranny of political autocracy that the American revolution was won. And he talks about that a little bit. And then he says, since that struggle, however, man's inventive genius releases new forces in our land, which have reordered the lives of of our people. The age of machinery, of railroads, of steam and electricity, he goes on, these all brought a new problem with them for those who sought to remain free. For out of this modern civilization, economic royalists carved new dynasties. New kingdoms were built upon concentration of control over material things. Through new uses of corporations, banks and securities, new machinery of industry and agriculture, of labor and capital, all undreamed of by the founders the whole structure of modern life was impressed into this royal service and and then he goes on he says it was natural and perhaps human that the privileged princes of these new economic dynasties thirsting for power reached out for control over government itself they created a new despotism and wrapped it in the robes of legal sanction in its service new mercenaries sought to regiment the people their labor and their property and as a result the average man once more confronts the problem that faced the Minuteman. I mean, it's Franklin Roosevelt, and he's like brilliant,
0: brilliant. Yeah. Tom, can I leave you with a bumper sticker? Sure. The Green New Deal,
3: or the old corrupt deal? Yeah. Question there you mark. Okay, I'm with you. Thank you very much. No. Appreciate the call, James in Spokane, Washington. Hey, James, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm about conservatives. You know, basically, they're cowards.
6: They're afraid to play the game today that isn't rigged. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They've got no heart. There. I want to talk about neckties. You know, Tom, it seems all the conservative, monstrous things that have been done in in my lifetime and credited to America were done by people in neckties.
3: And I was wondering if you have an idea what the symbolism is of the necktie. I don't know. There are people who suggest that it's a phallic symbol. I'm sure that there's actually a history to neckties that, you know, is probably some grand thing that has to do with men's fashion, but I just don't know. But yeah, I I don't wear a necktie. And I, uh, you know, or on very rare occasions do I wear a necktie. And although I did for years, but I was never happy about it. I'm I'm with you. James, thank you for the call. Lupe in Pueblo, Colorado. Hey, Lupe, what's up?
6: For the sake of being a liberal who wants to reach out to my conservative friends and family you have to realize that they're actually neurotic group who've been brainwashed or maybe brainwashed themselves into putting too much value into money you know if you're rich you have morals and if you're poor you're the scum of the earth yeah this is neo-calvinism
3: you know john calvin back in the 1600s
6: we're all still human beings i'm a millennial and just of the negativity. I want everything to be positive. I really think we can move forward together as long as we help our conservative friends and family get out of that idea. No, you're not the scum if you're poor. No, you're not the greatest if you're rich. And we need to stop comparing each other that way.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. Well said, Lupi. Thank you very much for the call. Patrick in Long Island, New York. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today? Hey, how are you doing, Tom? Uh, I wanted to comment on
2: the meaning of conservatism. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to you a few times before, and I've mentioned that I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And I remember there being almost like a third party conservative. And it was different from the Republican. And generally, they were running on, uh, you know, three different issues. It usually was financial, it was strong military, and strong police. And then I, if my memory is correct, Ronald Reagan was the first one who came out and said, I am a conservative and I'm not going to hide it. Now, Goldwater was the last one I remember prior to Reagan saying that flat out he's a conservative.
3: Right. And you wrote a book called Conscience of a Conservative, and that was and that was used against him.
2: Yes, correct. And as I see it today, once Reagan came into office and the debt was running, the Republicans abdicated any claim towards fiscal conservatism. And I have yet to see someone come forward and say except for the Democratic Party who now are the fiscal conservatives let's redirect our money in the appropriate way and let's do what it you know what the maximum outcome will be but as I said I used to regularly remember seeing a Democrat Republican and a conservative candidate and that you don't see any longer that's yeah. all top
3: yeah well that's a good one you said a conservative candidate was that somebody running on a third party like the libertarian party because the libertarian Party really didn't Get much mojo going until the '60s and, the, and really the early '70s. Lyndon LaRouche, Lyndon yeah. LaRouche. Okay. Now, was he a libertarian? No. Lyndon LaRouche has his very own cult of very strange, conspiracy-minded people who basically have just been trolls in our society for a long, long time.
2: For what I remember growing up, conservative was always somebody loved the outdoors, loved the police, and believed you were spending money irrationally and to just do it
3: slowly, and that was it. Yeah.
2: And Republicans today are not conservatives.
3: The Republican Party's, with the election of 1980, because of a Supreme Court decision two years earlier, the Republican Party, which legalized bribery of politicians by corporations, the Republican Party ceased to be a political party with a political perspective, with a governing worldview, with an idea about how the government should be run, and began to be what James Madison referred to in Federalist Number 10 as a faction. He talked about the spirit of faction. George Washington talked about the spirit of faction. By faction, they were not referring to political parties. They were referring to a small group of people who were pursuing their own self-interest to the detriment of the country. And that, you will find that definition in Federalist Number 10 by James Madison himself. I think what we're seeing is the spirit of faction. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tired of looking like you're hungover? (laughs) Get rid of those under-eye bags with Plexiderm. Uh, Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum, it's magic in a bottle. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. Just apply this powerful serum to problem areas, and within minutes, voila, a new younger you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox. It is all natural. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with Plexiderm for smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. And it goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles behind with Plexiderm. Go to Plexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN with two ends for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, half off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998, 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998. Or visit plexiderm.com today and use the code Hartman at checkout. Kevin in Berea, Ohio. Hey Kevin, what's up? I think for what I notice out here in the
6: Midwest is today, at least, conservatism seems to be conflated among Trump supporters with just populism. If you are a flag waver, if you you support the military, if you support law enforcement, if you say you hate socialism or anything close to it, you're a conservative. It isn't about reducing the national deficit.
3: It isn't mm-hmm. about promoting a strong middle class. It isn't about protecting fair elections. Yeah, you're right. These, are, you these are all the ways that Trump has, at his rallies, in fact, redefines it. But it's not yeah. just supporting the police. I mean, I support the police. I you know I want us to have police but they wanna support cops beating people up, right? Exactly. It's, it's not just supporting the military, it's cutting funds to the troops, but giving more money to the military contractors. You know, more right, money for lip service Yeah, you know, to all these things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's you know, you mentioned Nancy Pelosi, and she has said
6: she fears that Trump won't leave office no matter what the outcome of the election is, and
3: I wonder what happens if that indeed becomes what plays out. Time will tell, Kevin. Thanks a lot for the call, Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's up?
9: Nazotrobia, comrade, is another glorious day in
3: Trumpistan, is it not? <laughs> it, indeed it is, Jazz. What's on your hey, mind? Hey,
9: you're you're railing on conservatives and I'd like to pitch in. Let me give you my list. It'll take uh I think less than a minute. Go for it. Conservatives are pro Israel but anti Semite. Conservatives are pro life up until the second you're alive. Pro-life unless you live in Flint, Michigan. Pro-military but keep closing bases. They love the Affordable Care Act but hate Obamacare. They cut welfare to the poor, which is only $7 out of their pay, but shovel welfare to corporations, which is $4,000. They want banks too big to fail, but government's small enough to drown a bathtub. They claim to be for family values but consume more porn than any other region. They're anti-LGBTQ up until the moment they're busted in a public restroom. Listen, conservatives love America but hate Americans. By the time cons accuse others of something, cons have been
3: doing it for years. Am I right? I think so. I think that's a pretty good start. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to look at the, at the uh, kind of historical use of the word and the historical behavior of Republicans in the Republican Party. And there was just this huge shift in behavior of Republicans starting in the mid-70s. And I think it was the result of these two Supreme Court decisions. In fact, I, I think I can build that case very strongly. But, but they have been working with language ever since. And now they're saying, oh, no, we're just about small government. And, you know, it's, we're just about a fiscal responsibility. They use these nice words. I mean, who doesn't want to be fiscally responsible? And and who wants, you know, jackbooted thugs, you know, uh, uh, running around with a big government? If the Republicans can survive Trump, I got a feeling they're going to have to do some adjustment. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, what Trump has done is he's taken the mask off the Republican Party. He's you know, he said, you know, here's what's going here's what's really going on. And he started it in the primary. He called them all out, all those Republicans on stage, you know. He he just and and I think that was one of the things that actually caused some people to vote for him, was he was willing to call out Republicans. Chaz, thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you. Gary in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Hey Gary, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today?
6: Hey Tom
8: as far as what has become of conservatives or how you define them, Mm -hmm. actually speak on words. I watched Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell
6: sign their oath to be a fair juror in
3: the Senate. Right.
1: After
6: they have both said they're not
3: gonna be. Right. So apparently an oath doesn't mean a whole lot to these guys or they intend to change their behavior on the 21st when when the Senate impeachment continues.
6: Yeah, so conservatives are not only hypocritical, but in below,
3: top to bottom, even unto God. They're willing to put, certainly, not just party above country, but the interests of the people who own the party above country. Russ in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Russ, what's on your mind?
6: Yeah, Tom, I'm glad you brought this up, because I've had a little bone to pick with you for a long time. I think when you call these people like say oh Charles Koch a conservative, you give them a dignity and a probity that they do not deserve. Mr. Koch, as an example, is a radical right winger and a fascist. You've read, I think you've read Nancy McLean's book, Democracy and Chains. Sure. He doesn't want to conserve anything. He and wants-
3: Jane Mayer's Dark Money too it, it right. does a deep dive into him. Yeah.
6: These people want to destroy democracy in this country. That is not conservative, not in the least. They are, as I said, they are radical right-wingers, they are fascists. You know, to-
3: I, I get all that, Russ. In the context of this discussion, your next-door neighbor, your the guy that you work with at work, or your brother-in-law or whatever who votes for Trump, who votes Republican, will almost certainly call themselves a conservative. You know, Rush Limbaugh uses the word conservative constantly. You, you find it all over right-wing radio. These people self-identify as conservatives. And so I think it's really important that we, while, while you may be absolutely right, you know, Charles Koch probably doesn't even refer to himself as a conservative he probably refers to himself as a libertarian his brother ran for vice president on the libertarian ticket in 1980 and they were big funders of the libertarian party back in the day but i think that we need to be able to you know when somebody says i'm a i'm a conservative we need to be able to say what does that mean and then when they say, oh, well, it means we like small government, you say, oh, you mean, in other words, you want corporations to basically run the game. They say, oh, it means fiscal responsibility, then you're able to say, well, oh, you, what you're actually talking about is that rich people don't have to pay taxes and that the government shouldn't be in the business of running Social Security and Medicare and, and public education, for that matter. I think that we need to define these terms in a way that the average person can understand. But your point is well taken. Your point is very well taken. Thanks a lot, Russ, for the call. Welcome back, Tom Arban, here with you, Scott, in Houston, Texas. It says here you want to disagree with me. What's uh, about what? No, I
6: don't. I don't necessarily disagree, Tom. I enjoy your program. I happen to be a libertarian. I left Republican Party years ago when I felt they left me and. I love interacting about politics. I tend to hear a lot of hate on either side. Right, if I turn into a program I hear a lot of hate towards conservatives, and if I turn into conservative, whether it be Hannity or Limbaugh or somebody like that. What I have I
3: said today, Scott? Hate. That's hateful.
6: Well, I think I think you paint people in a way that they're very hateful. What when have I said that say, was hateful? Oh, you just made a comment about conservatives want to protect the right for police to beat people up. Yeah, I, Donald, I Trump, Donald Trump has
3: said that in at least well, three different not, rallies where just, I've seen it. You just said
6: conservatives. I didn't say Donald Trump. Donald Trump, for me, is not well, a conservative. It was in the context of a conversation argue,
3: about Donald Trump changing the meaning of conservative. It, well, I get it that hate is actually a tool that's being used by Trump and some Republicans. I don't think that hate is a tool that's being used by liberals or progressives. I hate the behavior, not the person. I think you're going to find more on the disagree. left. But I in a disagree. way, we've, we've digressed away from the big topic. What is it about libertarianism? Now, yeah, I'm assuming you know that the Libertarian Party was created back in the 1940s by fee, by this lobbying group for, on behalf of the housing industry, and then funded by the Chamber of Commerce and DuPont and General Motors in order to give a respectable patina to efforts to basically reduce the power of government and government regulation and increase the power of corporations and the very, very rich, which, you know, does very well. What about libertarianism makes sense to you?
6: So we we could go back to the origins of a lot of different movements and you can dissect them. What I like about libertarianism, and I like the fact that there's individual liberties, and I feel like the more we give up to government the less we get for ourselves as far as our civil liberties go. Mm -hmm. And whether that's, whether I want to smoke marijuana or, you give my taxes over the government where they can just spend it in any way they want and get it into intervention. Well, no, they can't spend it any way
3: they want. They can only spend it in <laughs> ways that are appropriated by Congress that you have a say in electing. But, but, but this is, but Scott, what, you're, what you're, you're doing is validating why do. for years I, think, I have been saying that libertarians are Republicans who want to smoke dope and get laid. You know, it's, it's like yeah, let's legalize <laughs> prostitution and marijuana, the, but don't take my taxes line. to give to somebody on Social but, Security. Thank you very much. Well once again, you're painting me
6: with a broad brush, but I I I, what I would say is what a libertarian is. I don't want to smoke marijuana. I preserve the right for people that who want to do it, to let them do it. It's their right. body, their choice,
3: right? You realize these so, are liberal positions as well.
6: I like conversation, right? I like to find hey, what we have in common and what we disagree with. But I think a big problem what we have today is you got a lot of people waving a blue flag and you got a lot of people uh, waving a red flag and they're just punching the, the bejesus out of each other. And, uh, you know, I'd like to find common ground where we can. But the problem with something I hear a lot with you guys, you know, I I know you talk about Citizens United, which I don't necessarily disagree with, and that corporations control everything. Mm -hmm. And and I've been a part of a corporation for 20 years. I've known a couple different Fortune 500 companies I've been fortunate to be a part of. But if you want to take away citizens, you want to take away a business's right to give to a particular politician, my corporation for instance gives we have a fund voluntarily that we each employee can give to you and then that money is appropriated people that typically will support things that benefit
3: our company right right and this is a um, violation of federal law from 1907 when the tillman act was passed until 19 until 2010 I, with citizens united
6: and i don't disagree with that and i would say right here if you would ever consider say you and i are in charge of everything if you take I give you citizens united we, we take away the rights for corporations to donate to a particular candidate and in return I would ask hey let's lower the corporate
3: tax down to zero. That's a really a completely separate conversation. But what no, I would give you is I would say no, what I would give you is I would say that that liberal billionaires and unions shouldn't be able to give money to politicians either. Let's just get all this non-human money out of elections and let's go back to the law we had before the Buckley decision, which capped individual contributions at a few hundred dollars per year per candidate, period.
6: And I agree with you on that, but I would also venture to the corporate taxes because corporate taxes... Are really just taxes on the poor and middle class. Not I mean, true. That's what really corporate all taxes, they
3: are. Scott, what corporate taxes do <laughs> is they allow. A lot of- no, hey, hey, let me let me just make this this point, and you you can rebut it all you want a corporation is an actual entity. There's you know, a whole thing about corporate personhood. Yes, corporations as artificial persons have you know, the right to sue and be sued, the right to enter into contracts, the right to do business, open checking accounts, all those kinds of things. I'm all in favor of all that. I own a corporation. It, it's this show. That said, corporations also have a footprint on this planet. Right? My corporation here is using the police to protect this building, is using the fire department to protect this building, is using public roads for myself and my employees to get to work, Where is using the public education system so that my employees come to work knowing how to read and write. As a corporation, I am using the commons. As a corporation, I should pay my fair share of the commons to maintain and sustain the commons that I'm using. I don't see why I, just because I decided to incorporate, I should get a free ride. But in your corporation, doesn't that corporate tax get
6: absorbed in the cost of your goods or service?
3: No. Generally, corporate taxes are not. Typically, what corporate taxes come out of are dividends and high-wage earners pay, basically. Mm-hmm. So no, Scott, this is, this is econ 101. What determines it prices is, is competition. If you've got one corporation, if you've got two corporations that are both selling milk, and one of them is paying 10% profit or 10% tax because they're very profitable, and the other corporation is paying no tax, those corporations are still going to be competing based on price, not on taxes. It's
6: not only the price of the goods, it's also labor.
3: Labor will go down. They will eliminate jobs, close factories. George corporate China, taxes. Mexico. Scott, that's, that's, nah, the, the period of time when corporations grew the fastest and became the most prosperous in the United States was the period from 1940 to 1980 when the corporate tax accounted for a third of all federal income. Richard in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Richard, what's up? Hi, Tom. What is a conservative in today's America? Mm-hmm. A fascist with lipstick. Okay. <laughs> a fascist who dresses well? <laughs> all right lipstick on a pig yeah there you go i get oh i get it now i, th- I thought maybe this, there, there was a gender subtext to it but i get it that there's not well said richard thanks so much for being with us today don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport by the way the uh, senate they finished their little song and dance of swearing everybody in and they're going to resume on the 21st so that they can take a few more days to get some more conservative judges on the bench presumably So uh, that will, you know, we'll see where that all goes. Anyhow, get out there, get active, tag your it, and tell your friends about about progressive media. We'll
4: see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
3: Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.